Great. Great. Well, what I thought would be good to do just in the last uh, half an hour or so is just to look at, okay, what does this look like in our communities? How do we create spirit-filled communities? This morning's really been about our journeys as, a, as, a, as leaders, um, the importance of the dependence, of the sensitivity of being led, of walking with the Spirit through joy and pain. You know, the kind of, I'm sure there's loads of other things that Luke wanted to bring out through Acts, but those are the big five things that I've observed that he's trying to communicate to the church of this is what it was like for us and you can have the same in the church in your generation and um just a few things that i'd like to uh, uh bring out that we've learned um about living this stuff out in community um in uh mark chapter two we'll just read this little little passage because it's quite a helpful um springboard um, so some of the things I want to say. So Mark chapter 2, um, uh, Jesus healing the paralytic. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. Many were gathered so there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof and they made an opening and let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit. And they were thus questioning with themselves. Said, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? To the paralytic your sins are forgiven? Or to say rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, son, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And the man rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Um, so a few uh, foundations that uh, we've observed in our community um, that have been just important to living out what we're talking about, being people of the Spirit, building Spirit-filled communities. I think the first foundation that we found critical is this understanding that Jesus intended for com- his communities, his churches, his people to be naturally supernatural. <laughs> that it was actually his intent to build this, that this is not something that we're kind of forcing on to him, but this was his idea. This is his great idea. This is what the church always was born to be. And I love the way this story starts where? In a home. It's not in a church. It's not in a synagogue even. It's in a home. It starts in a home. And this amazing, phenomenal miracle begins in a home. And there's so many supernatural things happening in this story. It's just crazy. But it begins in a home. And I think that was one of our big journeys for us as a church is that, that revelation, and it is a revelation, that we were born for the supernatural life. That It doesn't mean that welcome and great coffee and all of that stuff are not important, but it's that reality that has to get into every heart, from the youngest to the oldest. And I told you a couple of stories from our, our kids, um, but our, our kids will be at the forefront of this. And it's recognizing that um, when you start getting this in young enough, People don't have to go through some of the stuff that I've had to go through to get back to where we should have started. And so, uh, you know, we had a thing at a Catalyst Festival where um, recently, so you've got 4,000 adults or so, and I said to Nikki, who leads our kids, well, I want to get the kids in and I want you to show the adults what they're doing. And so she, she did some training with some kids who had never received words of knowledge before, and this is the easiest thing to demonstrate. And... Uh, 
um, she did some training with them across. So they volunteered. They weren't handpicked as the most spiritual kids. They volunteered. Who wants to do something fun in the adults meeting? 20 volunteers. She did training with them across two sessions. They then demonstrated it in the kids session and they came into the adult session. So 4,000 adults. Intimidating, right? So these kids from somewhere between six and nine get up and start giving these words of knowledge. And, uh, but Nikki had been, she'd trained them how to receive words of knowledge. None of them ever had it before. None of them ever had received that gift before. They received it as they prayed for them and she trained them. But she was really pushing them saying, okay, yeah, they would give her something and she would say, go for more. So when they delivered them, oh my gosh, it was open mouth because this little six year old saying, there's someone here, you're in red zone, you have a blue tent, you're 76 years old and you've got a shoulder and neck problem. Could you stand up please? One person among 4,000 people stands up. And it's just like open mouth around the room. And what was interesting was that people were keen to, they didn't want the kids to suffer, so they were like keen to stand up. But it was amazing as hardly any of the words had multiple people. Pretty much every word was so specific that literally one person out of 4,000 people, some of them had two or three, but most of them it was one person. And I thought, you know what, we've got something here. Because the adults are being undone, seeing what the kids are doing. Isn't it one generation will declare your glories to the next? It's that sense of this is going up and down the tree, actually. We're training them, and then they're provoking us with the same stuff we taught them. And so that realization, getting it in as young as we can into the dis- disciples' lives, um, getting it as young as we can into, you know, on an Alpha. So I was surprised to hear that most people on Alpha don't do a prophetic night. We always do a prophetic night. We get our prophets in, and they prophesy. They give words of knowledge over the over our people because we want our Alpha guys to realize this is a supernatural thing. We're not going to hide this stuff. And that's often the night that they give their lives to Christ because they've... You know, they've encountered God for the first time. There's one story from a recent one where um, one of our guys, he had just one single word for um, for the, the a person at Alpha. And he gets up and all the word he had was, was, all right, mate. And he was praying before and the Lord was saying, say to that guy, all right, mate. And he's like, God, you've got to give me more than that. It's just like not enough. It's just like awful. You've got to give me more. And the Lord was like, say nothing more than all right, mate. And he was like, okay, so he gets up and he says, points to the guy and says, God, God's speaking to you. And he says, all right, mate. Anyway, at the end of the meeting, this guy gives his life to Christ and uh, uh, kind, of, kind of goes on the journey. And they found out why. It was because that week he'd been praying. He's like, God, I, he said, I, I don't know how to pray or anything. I mean, do I just talk to you like I talk to anybody else or do I have to use special words or something? And then that night, God speaks to him and says, all right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's though it's those moments isn't it where you just start to live as a community expecting those kind of things to to happen and you realize that as a community we we've really believed that this is naturally supernatural that we were born for this that this is what church should look like this is the everydayness of of church and we just do an end game around the confusion the enemy has tried to sow into the church over years over the spirit and all of these things and say look no we were born for this this is what we're born for i love that it starts in the home just a, a few a few things second thing is this this recognition of 
that there's, there's the second foundation. So the first foundation would be the understanding of that, that supernaturally natural is a way we're born to live. And get that into your churches through different ways, but make it normal. Norm, normalize it. You know, Mike Pilavachi is actually brilliant at that. He will not allow it to become spiritually. He, he dials it right. He says, my job is to dial it down. He dials it right down all the time. He makes jokes. He says humorous things. Just because he doesn't want it to be, he wants it to become natural. He wants it to be natural and ordinary and not to become all spooky and weird. I think that's key. Second thing is faith and expectation. And, um, you know, uh, you see in this story when Jesus saw their faith. Notice that. He wasn't even seeing the paralytic's faith. He was seeing the faith of the men who brought the paralytic. And so I just think the whole area of faith has just got so confused in the Western church. And, and there's been so much stuff around the issue of faith that has just confused people. I mean, I had that experience where, you know, a friend of mine growing up her, in her church, they were in a charismatic church where um, uh, it was massively on, on faith. And they were taught about faith. And, and so much so faith was so critical that... Um, the worship leader who had a birthmark on his face was told after a while, actually, we're feeling like you need to stop leading worship because if you haven't got faith to get healed yourself, just don't feel like you can lead us. And, uh, and we've all heard stories like that, haven't we? And there's been such a corruption of faith. But actually, the recognition is that faith is central to this stuff. You just can't get away from it. That Jesus calls out faith. Even times when we would not say... I mean, just can you imagine, it, it tests someone giving testimony in your church of being healed and you saying to them it was your faith that healed you i mean you just wouldn't say it would you You just wouldn't say it. but jesus was not afraid to say it he was not afraid to point out faith it's somehow and uh it's somehow we've got to redeem the corruption of faith and and not be afraid i was afraid to talk about faith because i was afraid of being associated with some other people who said a whole load of other stuff about faith that i didn't want to be associated with we have to break free from that and recognize we've got to teach people how to have faith without going to the extreme of, oh, well, your reason you're not getting out of the wheelchair is because of your lack of faith. It just isn't that, it doesn't work like that. There's somehow we've got to talk like this without devaluing those and make it feel like, oh, and so they leave in their wheelchair feeling that they're both sick and now it's their fault. I mean, thanks very much, you know. And I've prayed with so many people like that. And that's why the church is so afraid to go here and to allow this stuff to operate. But it's actually navigating those things. And, and, and I think the, the revelation for me is this. Some, sometimes we've just got to weed out some of that bad thinking. So at King's Arms, people know no one would say to someone who wasn't healed, it's your lack of faith. I mean, they know that I would be after them like a shot if I ever heard anyone say that. And we do have people who come in from the outside, you will hear that, and we'll have someone go and talk to them. Because I can't afford to, that, to allow faith to become corrupted in people's thinking. It just is not... I want people to... Be, and we always say this, I cannot guarantee that you'll be healed, but I can guarantee that you'll be loved. <laughs> Uh, if they, I can't guarantee they'll walk out healed, but I can guarantee that we will love them as best as we can. And, and then many get healed off the back of that. So it's that realization that we've got to create a healthy culture around faith and expectation. And I think, for me, the big revelation, which again has helped many in our church, was um, the, the realization that Jesus, when he points out great faith, you know, there's a Syrophoenician woman and the, and the, the Gentile centurion. That's the only places where Jesus points out great faith. And the reason to my thinking, has to be that he was pointing out that great faith can... It's not the usual suspects. Great faith can be found anywhere. 
And, and great faith can be found anywhere. It's actually not about your pedigree or how long you've been a Christian, all of that kind of stuff. And some, sometimes some of that stuff doesn't actually help you. Actually, God is looking for great faith, and you can find it anywhere. And if you can find it there, then he could find it in you. And if you feel like you're one, and you notice in the, in the Gospels, there's people, you know, even the disciples, a little faith. If you can't walk on water, your class is little faith in Jesus' mind, which is a little bit humbling. But you've got little faith, you've got weak faith, you've got strong faith. You've got, there's a progression, there's, a, there's degrees of faith. But the, the excitement for me is, gosh, that means that potentially I could grow in faith. That was a big revelation for me that I don't have to, I was so cynical and unbelieving. I mean, you know, my cynicism had cynicism. I was just like, but I recognize these two were, were connected together that the Holy Spirit loves to move in, in the place of faith. And so I had to do something in my heart to get this toxic unbelief out there. Uh, the greatest fear to me was, was being seen as being naive. And, and that's just, just like the horror for a kind of teenage guy in, in the UK is to be seen as being naive is like the biggest crime. And I realized I had to repent of that, that I was going to be thought as being naive. And that had to be okay. And that as I created a culture where faith could grow in my own heart, that actually it would happen in the church around. And we've seen that um, uh, uh, as people have realized, gosh, I could grow in faith. Telling stories is critical to this. Did you feel the atmosphere difference as these guys shared their stories? There was just, could you feel the, did you love them as they were telling their stories? I loved these guys. I don't even, I don't even know half these guys. I'll never meet them again possibly. But I loved them. There was something that just connected in the spirit realm. And that is the foundation that enables the spirit to work again. It enables a foundation of love and unity that you think, gosh, you know, if we can create atmospheres where we can genuinely celebrate what God is doing in someone else, it just is open season for him to do something in us. Whereas most of our churches, if God does something for someone else, what he's met with is a sense of, why would you touch them and not me? You know, it's, it's this kind of orphanness. Whereas actually when we learn to tell stories and genuinely celebrate together, their breakthrough becomes our breakthrough. And the foundation for our breakthrough is often found in their breakthrough. We, we have so many stories of that. One, one story from our training school, one lady came and she really wanted to experience joy. She felt, I've just lived a depressing, joyless life for my entire Christian life. 20 years, she said, I've been depressed, I've been on medication, I'm just done with it. I want to find joy. And so she comes to TSM, nine-month course, and in the first weeks, people just start laughing in the spirit, just experiencing joy. And you know what she said? I met, this is her testimony. She said, I made a conscious decision. Every time someone experienced something, I would go up to them and say, I'm so happy for you. I'm so pleased that you got what you came for. I'm so excited for you. Can I pray for you? And she said, I was feeling nothing. I was just feeling dead on the inside. And she said, you know, she went through about six months of this, just praying for people, celebrating what God had done in their lives. And then suddenly the joy just hit her. And she laughed nonstop for about three days. <laughs> Day and night she was just laughing as just all of this junk came out of her spirit. But the foundation for that was the beginning of her faith grew as she celebrated what God had done in other people. And it's that same, what I started with, isn't it? With the, the you know, RM and Catalyst. It's that same, God loves that unity. And if we can develop that in our churches, teaching people. And, and often you'll see it. You'll see someone share a story. And you as a leader will be looking around the room and you'll see someone who just looks depressed. The better the story is. That, when you see that, don't leave it alone. Go and talk to them. Go and say, hey, what's going on? 
And very often you'll see just the orphanness that's in the church, just the brokenness that's there. And it's, a, it's that block, actually, they're the block to their own prayers. So often we've seen that, that when you create an atmosphere of faith and expectancy and celebration of what God's doing, it just exposes our own orphanness and disappointment. And if we will hold ourselves in community rather than running, many people just run, if we will hold ourselves together, it will enable this stuff to get flushed out of our spirits and the competitiveness and the orphanness because the Holy Spirit wants unity and he will hold us to ourselves. That's why he's brought you and the person next to you together because you irritate each other (laughs) because there's bits about you that irritate them and bits about them that irritate you. And it's it's in that divine irritation that his glory begins to shine. And that repentance really comes. And that genuine acceptance, not based on what they do or don't do, but based on who they are, can flow. Because it won't always be what you want them to to be or do. And it's that in that place. So creating an atmosphere, telling stories, learning how to celebrate, you know, uh, is is so key for this. We talked a lot about, uh, a little bit earlier, about removal of the blocks. Notice in this story um, that... It was a skepticism and a cynicism that Jesus perceived in the Pharisees. That, that he, he says he perceived it in his spirit, what they were thinking. They didn't say it, it was just in their spirits. And I tell you, when you get attuned to this stuff, I mean, I can go to churches in, in wherever I go and I can feel it. That skepticism and that cynicism. Because I've had such a journey of repentance myself, I can feel it in the atmosphere. It, not just going on, you know, kind of body language. I can feel, although that also is there. I can feel it in the atmosphere. And Jesus perceives this, and it's recognizing that actually God um, is to, to move powerfully through his church with the Spirit. We've got to get rid of this skepticism, this cynicism, this offense, and particularly the disappointment. Um, and I wrote some on, on this in my book, but the, the, one of the key, key things that we've learned is that um, the life of the Spirit is a life that's destined for disappointment. And unless you can learn to handle that, you'll never survive. You'll just retreat to the safe and the normal. You can't survive in 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 the uh, the way that the spirit wants it because there are, there are disappointments going to come. It just goes with the territory. It's just by nature. I remember saying to our community, "Look, you've got we've got a few options here. There's here where we don't see very much because we don't expect very much, and there's here, which is eternity." Where, where the kingdom has fully come and everybody's healed and every blind eye is opened and every disease is driven out and everyone experiences God in all his fullness and feels his closeness for all eternity like he's never been, he's never going to be separated from them again. They'll know that intimacy forever. And then there's this space in the middle <laughs> where there's great disappointment when we go for things and don't see them, but also there's great joy when we go for things and do see them. And we live in this kind of divine tension. And I said, you know what? I've lived my whole life here. I've lived my whole Christian life here. Playing it safe. Never taking any risks. And, and letting the disappointment just kill my soul until I've just got no expectation. And I, I've, I've chosen I'm going to move here. <laughs> I want to live here. Will you move there with me? And it was just a, one of those moments I remember. And I many who were there will remember it. Because... It was that divine moving in the spirit. We thought we just can't, we can't get, we want to get to there. We can't get there yet. But we can get to here. We can move to here where we can start to live with the, with the reality 
that we will see great kingdom breakthrough, but also there'll be some disappointment and both almost go together. And you see it in the New Testament, don't you? You see it. You know, Paul, who's the, who's the Paul who writes, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus, also within a year or two is on Malta, shipwrecked, and it says he healed everyone on the entire island. And he draws no theological conclusion from either place. He just lives from that place. He's the same guy who left his key colleague sick on Miletus. He leaves him sick and is then on Malta. And so much of the church draws their theology from Miletus and so much draws it from Malta. And there's some who think, no, we should see everyone set free and we see the spirit moving. And there's others, no, we shouldn't expect. And the church is just like polarized. And God is looking for a people who can be like Paul and live with the divine, I don't know. But I believe in the mighty rushing spirit. I believe in the wind of the spirit. And I'm believing for more Malters, but I recognise that I'm going to see a few Miletuses on the road, but I'm going, to li- I'm going to live in this divine tension, kingdom now, not yet. You know, that's really what, what, what launched the vineyard, isn't it? It was when Wimber crystallised off of Eldon Ladd the theology of kingdom now, not yet, that moved them from the, the kind of crazy uh, Pentecostalism on one end, which just, just ends up toxic and messed up, and the conservative evangelical on the other end, which doesn't see something. And, and vineyard means to position themselves somewhere in the middle, in this now but not yet of the kingdom. And uh, just the same is for us today. We've got to do that for our generation in the people that are coming through, helping them to deal with disappointment and walking out of that, uh, out of that place. So removal of the blocks, looking at what are the blocks in you. And that, that thing of, you know, when people come to you in your church and they say, I've been to the front and, and prayed, come Holy Spirit, a million times and nothing changes. The chances are, the prob- it's probably not that God's not hearing that prayer. There's probably something in here. So your job as a leader is to say, okay, what is it? Let's ask the Spirit. He knows. I don't know. I don't know. I, I got no clue. But he, the Holy Spirit knows. I tell you, I've done that time and time again with people. And you pray with them just for a moment. And they actually even know. They know already. God's already spoken to them about it. He just needed a leader to come alongside and say, okay, what, what, what's he saying to you? And they say, well, he did give me this word a couple of years ago about going to my mother and asking forgiveness. And I've never done it. Let's start there. Let's start there. Get them to do that. Boom. And you'll find often it's something that was spoken a, a year or two ago that God said, what's God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Very often he won't say anything else until you did what you've done, what he told you to do last time. You know, even just even this week, I was repenting of something that God he gave me a dream about something about a year and a half ago, and I've done nothing about it. And now as a church, we're doing something about it. And I was just saying, Lord, forgive me. My... And we're only doing about something about it because we've had two other words from pe- pro- prophets outside who've said to do the same thing. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, forgive me for my slowness because <laughs> I knew we needed to do this. I've just done nothing about it. <laughs> you know, it's that reality, isn't it, that we've got to live living. Get rid of the blocks in our own heart and the spirit will flow in increased power. Um, foundation four, increasing everyday use of the gifts of the spirit. Notice that it says immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit and thus questioned within themselves saying, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are... So he knows exactly what they're, they're thinking. And uh, what, we've, what we've found as a community is actually recognizing that you can train people in the gifts of the spirit. You know, even for some of you today, 
just the fact that I talked about dreams and normalized that, that was, that was what you took away. And someone actually even came up to me and said, God's called me to be a dreamer. I want this, I want this in my life. Actually, she probably won't remember anything else I said today, but that's it. And that has now launched a life in the spirit. God was already speaking to her through dreams. She, it, we've just validated it. We've said, okay, now go for it. A little bit of training. I gave her a book to read and she's going to be off on, on becoming a dreamer of dreams and the world will change because of that. And so it's, it's normalizing in that. It's recognizing. It's, we refuse to allow anyone in our church, from the youngest to oldest, to say, I haven't got a gift from the Spirit. Uh, the God doesn't speak to me. No, no, no. Those are complete lies because the Lord has promised to give gifts to his people. He, he, my sheep hear my voice. Are you a sheep? Matt. Then you hear his voice. You might not like the way you hear his voice. You might want to hear your vo- his voice like Julian Adams or Phil Wilthy. Well, that's, that's not what we're talking about. He speaks to you. Just because you want to hear it in the way somebody else is hearing it, no, 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 that's not on the table. You can't choose how he speaks to you. He will speak to you how he speaks to you because he knows you. And he will speak to me differently to the way he speaks to you and to you differently to the person next to you. But the reality is we've got to get people past the point that I'm not gifted and I can't hear God's voice. It's a lie. It's a lie. And, and just refuse to accept it. Just say, I just don't believe you. You do hear God. Tell me how he speaks to you. And then they'll be like, he doesn't speak to me. I never hear his voice. Yes, you do. You do. Tell me the last time that you heard God speak to you. Well, it was about five years ago. Okay, what did you do about it? Well, I didn't do anything about it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's not just about hearing. It's also about doing. And also, you're fi- and just as you converse with people, refuse to move from that group, that you have got a gifted people. They just don't realize how gifted they are. So your job as leaders is to persuade them the gifts that are already very often there. Now, uh, sometimes they do need to receive a gift. Paul said, Timothy, you received a gift through impartation. So sometimes there is an impartation that comes. But very often, they've got the gifts already. They're just not operating on them. And so your job as leaders in your community is just to find out what their gifts are and to train them and to put them with other people. You know, one of the reasons we've had an acceleration of the prophetic was because I um, was at Brighton. uh, I came in late one time into the Brighton Festival together on a mission and you know you know what it's like when you're arriving late to a conference you're kind of keeping your head down as if that helps everyone can see you but you kind of duck don't you and walk quickly because you think maybe i'll be invisible anyway i sat down as i sat down i had um phil wilthy on one side of me and julian adams on the other side and uh uh Ginny was behind me and uh i'd sat down and uh and i just clocked that and i thought whoa lord i hope i haven't got any secret sin or anything like that because i'm like <laughs> I'm surrounded by prophets. Isn't that scary? I'm surrounded by prophets. And the Lord immediately spoke to me and said, I'm surrounding you with prophets because you need them and they need you. And it was one of those moments. And then what we've noticed since then is that prophets just kind of gather around. Now, what is that? Why do they? Because they recognize there's something in me that values their gift that values their gift. I fight. I, I spent my whole growing up Christian life seeing prophets outside of the church. And my passion is to pull them in the church because the church needs them. They provide the momentum, the energy to keep the church moving. And yes, the church feels a bit crazy when they're around and it feels a lot safer when they're not there, but it also feels like the safety of dead safety. It feels like so dead that it's not moving anywhere and you need the prophets in the church. And so as leaders, you've got to gather them in because they just bring a life to the church, to the community. If you will embrace them and welcome them in and then say to them, yeah, that thing you got, that's a little bit far, but we can do this with that and just value their gift gift and that's that that's the reality is as you value the gifts and the people around you and call them out you will create a spirit-filled community because he will just start flowing in people's lives as you call those gifts into being as you gather gifts together 
as you pull them together and say, you guys should be with you guys. You, that, you should be with them because they've got this gift and we need this in the church. It makes a huge difference to people. So four um, foundations that we found, and there's a few others, but I, I haven't got time. So four foundations that we found critical to uh, the creating spiritual, spirit-filled communities. Obviously, the stuff we did this morning is foundational for you as leaders uh, because actually it's going to all flow from the temperature that you set in the church. But just four things that we've found helpful uh, in creating and passing this in and creating an atmosphere where the things of the Spirit flow and people just love to be filled with and move in the things of the Spirit. That's what we've learned. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray just very quickly together? We need to land in this final session. But just close your eyes. You don't have to stand. Just receive for a moment. Thank you, God. Lord, I just want to thank you for this just great fellowship today and this time. Uh, and we just welcome your presence uh, as we go. We just say, Lord, we believe that you designed the church to be naturally supernatural. I just pray for every leader here. I thank you for this word that you've spoken through me of turning on the tap, of making it central, not on the edge. That this would be the testimony of every individual, but also every church in RM, and this is a movement. I pray for that divine energy, that acceleration. I pray next time our paths cross, there'll be a fresh excitement that God is on the move, and we can't keep up with him in our churches, in, our, in the nations we're working into, and across the world. I just thank you, Father. And I pray, give them real wisdom for their own lives, for their own situations. Give them discernment to discern the blocks. Give them discernment for when it's a time to lay hands and impart a gift and when it's a time to say, let's just talk for a minute. I pray, God, that, that there will be an intentionality to receive and walk, work out this word as a community together. And, Lord, you, you don't give a word for it to return to you void. You don't give a word as a, a, a random criticism from an absentee father you give words to encourage us to strengthen us to spur us on actually the very destiny for the word is contained within the word the power to bring about the word is contained within the word the kingdom is like a seed your words have life and so i now i just speak over rm a spirit-filled community a people full of the raging rushing mighty wind of the spirit that is who God, that's who God sees you. That's who he calls you to be. Every one of you and every church you represent. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a great couple of days together we've had. And um, that's it. We are done. No, we're not done. We are done. We're not done. We are done. <laughs> uh, God bless you. Uh, travel safely and look forward to catching up uh, here, there and everywhere. Bye-bye. <laughs>